I think it's true that most of us love new things. Picture yourself on Christmas morning or perhaps on your birthday. Somebody hands you a package. And you take that gift and you tear off the wrapping paper and you open up the box and and you're filled with a sense of anticipation as you wait to see what's in there. You look inside and here is something that is absolutely brand new. It's never been used before. And it's just for you. We've all experienced things like this. So we understand the anticipation and the excitement of getting something new. Very few Christians, though, have experienced the excitement of being part of a brand new church. It's not a typical experience for most of us. When we decide to attend a church, it's usually already been in existence for a while. And so for a moment, I'd like us to think about what it would be like to be part of a brand new church. Well, first of all, it's a church where most of the people don't even know each other. So everyone is forging new friendships as they create a new sense of community. And because it's new, it's likely that they don't own any property. So they meet in some kind of a rental location, and it's probably not a church building. Think about this. It's a church where no one can say, oh, we always do it this way. (laughs) Because everything's being done for the very first time. A new community of faith has no history. And so it can't become bound by the past. And it more easily focuses on the future. What will our worship be like? What kind of ministry will we perform? How will we impact our community and our world? Those are the kind of questions that excite and animate a new church. And as I said, most of us have never been part of a church at that beginning point, and yet every church does have a beginning point. Every church started out as what we call a church plant. And we use that term because the goal is for every new church to be planted deeply in the community and to take root and to grow. Garden Way Church was planted in 1952. Some local families started our community of faith. And they did so because they had a vision for a congregation that would reach new people and draw them into the family of God. And even in their first year of existence, when they were still very small, our church. Our church fulfilled that vision by baptizing a number of people and getting them started in the life of faith. The founders of our church were humble enough to know that church was not just about them. They had a vision that went beyond their doors and extended out into the community and into the world. And that's the legacy that we've inherited. And we want to build on what's been entrusted to us. And so we continue to preach about Jesus. And we continue to look forward asking God how we best can impact our community and our culture and our world today. And we know, we know based on our very own history that new churches can have a great impact in reaching new people. 
And as a result, we have embraced church planting as a specific part of our mission. A mission that was given to us by Jesus. It's recorded in the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And Jesus there speaking to his disciples in virtually his final words, he gave them a mission that's been passed on to us. And he said, I want you to represent me locally and regionally and globally. As a congregation, we want to be faithful and be effective in all three aspects of that mission. Last week, we zeroed in on one specific aspect of our local mission, our local outreach. This morning, we're going to talk about our regional outreach, which primarily is focused on starting new churches throughout the Pacific Northwest. Every aspect of our mission is shaped by biblical principles. So we're going to look at three different Bible passages that talk about the mission of the church, and we're going to see how those principles shape the ministry of church planting. We're going to begin by looking at one of the parables that Jesus told. We find it in the book of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 to 7. It'll be here on the screen for you. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, Ah, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so in response, Jesus told this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, we need to recognize that Jesus lived in an agrarian world, and he talked in ways that were familiar to his audience. So he often used terms from agriculture, and it means that he often referred to the church as a flock, and he referred to people as sheep. In the metaphor of this parable, people who are far from God are like lost sheep. They cannot find their way spiritually because they are separated from Jesus, the shepherd of their souls. And it may seem obvious, but if you want to rescue lost people, you need to go look for them. You need to go where they are. And unfortunately, the religious people of that day wouldn't do that. It is heartbreaking to realize that the people who were the most close to God shunned the people who were far from God. We need to think about that and ask, do we ever do that? Do we ever isolate ourselves from unbelievers rather than lovingly pursue them? And if we do, then we need a refresher course from Jesus on his priorities. He says here that people who are separated from God are incredibly, incredibly important. In fact, they're so important that we must be willing to go and rescue them, to find them and bring them to the flock, the family of God. That is the heart of our God. Obviously, there's a cost to what Jesus describes. 
It takes time and effort to go on a rescue mission. It's inconvenient. It may interrupt our plans, and at times it even may be risky. And yet the need of a spiritually lost person overrides all of that. Those of us who are in the flock cannot make our life together only all about us. We must think about and pray for and look for opportunities to find people outside the flock who need to be spiritually rescued. This parable applies to you and me as individuals. It applies to us as a congregation. And I believe it's also a great description of those who are called by God to start new churches. Church planters are men and women who leave the security of the flock, the security of the established church, to go searching for people who are far from God. Their goal is to create a new community of faith to reach new people who don't yet know Jesus. So we invest in new churches because we want to help church planters to rescue more lost sheep. We also invest in church planters because we need more churches. We need more churches so more people can hear about Jesus. Look what the Apostle Paul says here in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 13 to 15. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a great promise. We want to see that become true in the lives of people. But look what he says next. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's rather obvious, but people who are far from God can't know about him and make the decision put their lives in the hands of God if they never hear about Him in the first place. And how does a person who is spiritually adrift hear about God? Well, they can hear about God from us as we share our faith in Jesus with the people that God brings into our daily lives. Spiritually lost people also can hear about God if they come to church and as ministers preach faithfully from the Bible. But the fact is we don't have enough churches for that to happen in a practical way. And here's an example. We know that most people in our community do not attend church. We wish it were otherwise. We wish that more people would come and attend church to check out God and to make a decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Think about this, though. What would we do if the Holy Spirit prompted every single person in Eugene Springfield to attend a Bible-believing church on the very same Sunday? Church planting ministries have done studies of that. And they have found that in communities like ours, every church would have to hold at least 20 worship services to handle the crowd. That's obviously not practical. And it's a clear indicator that we don't have enough churches to reach all of the unchurched people, even in our own community. And that same thing is true for virtually every community across the Pacific Northwest. And even worse, the problem is growing. The problem is growing because the population of our region is growing and the number of churches is declining. 
every year, on average, about 5,000 churches die. They close their doors for the very last time. And every church that closes means that one more preaching point for the message of Jesus is lost. And we need to ask, why is it that churches close? Why do they die? Interestingly enough, it's usually not because they stopped preaching about Jesus. I could take you across town this morning and show you a church where they preach faithfully about Jesus and they're running about 20 people. 30 years ago, they were running 500. Why do churches die? They die when the congregation loses sight of the mission. Churches die when they stop looking forward. They die when they stop making the necessary changes to reach the next generation. And it might be changes in music. It might be changes in the look and feel of the worship center. It might be changes in the flow and format of worship in the way we serve communion or other things about how we do church. None of those things are biblically set in stone which means that healthy churches always wrestle with uncomfortable yet necessary changes. Changes we make to stay engaged with the culture. Changes we make to stay engaged with the community so that hopefully we can draw people in and share the unchanging message of Jesus Christ. And this can happen in any church. Our church will die if we ever turn inward and start to think that the community of faith is only about us and about our needs. We will die if we ever make outreach a low priority. And that's why our mission is so vital. That's why we need to remind ourselves about it regularly. Our mission keeps us humble and reminds me that the church is not just about me. It reminds us that the church is not just about us. We are surrounded by lost sheep. So we keep striving to reach new people here. That's our local mission. And as we, you and I, do this effectively, then we stay strong and healthy, which means we have the resources to invest in the rest of our mission, our regional and global mission mission that includes sending people out to plant new churches so people who have never heard about Jesus can learn about him and call upon him and by the grace of God be spiritually rescued and become part of God's family. And there's something very interesting that goes on in the ministry of church planting. As we start new churches, we find that they typically have much greater success than we do at reaching people who are far from God. I have been at the very first worship service of numerous church plants. And I meet all kinds of people at that service who have never attended church in their life. Not once. I love to talk with them. And I often ask, so why did you come here? Here's the most common answer I get. I knew I would not be the only new person in the room. 
People for whom the life of faith is strange can be terrified about coming into an environment and being the only new person. It's much more comfortable to be a newbie when everybody's a newbie. Here's the second most common answer I get. I came here this morning because this is a familiar place. It's hard to realize, but for many people in our world today, the church building is a foreign object. It is a foreign place. And since church plants tend to meet in familiar locations, places like schools and movie theaters and community centers, it takes away a lot of that discomfort and creates a high level of comfort that means they're highly likely to give it a try. I'll never forget this one guy I met. It was the opening day of a church that was meeting in a movie theater. And I said, so why are you here? And he said, because I know where the exits are. In other words... I don't know what you people do in church. And if you start to do anything that's really weird, really uncomfortable, I know how to get out of here. There are lots of people like that in our world today. People who feel very alienated from who we are and what we do, alienated from church, but they're not ready to give up on God. And many of them are spiritually curious. And if they decide to visit a church to check out God, they're far more likely to visit a new church. And when they do, it's a chance for this Bible passage to become a reality. They can hear the truth about God revealed through His Son, Jesus. They will have the opportunity to call upon the name of the Lord and to be saved. A church plant can rescue people that we never may reach. We invest in new churches because we need more churches. We need more churches to help people far from God learn the truth about God and get connected to God. And then there's one more thing. As we engage in this ministry, it is essential that we listen to the Holy Spirit. He wants to be intimately involved in this ministry and He will guide us paying attention. Look how the Holy Spirit guided the Apostle Paul. He directed him in a specific way, and we see this here in the book of Acts, chapter 16, starting in verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Think about that. The Holy Spirit prevented them from going somewhere. That was God's no. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Another no. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus to them. This is a very unique vision, and this vision gave birth to one of the great church planting trips in history. I find it interesting that it began with the Holy Spirit telling Paul no twice before Paul got the yes. That would be good to think about the next time we perceive that God isn't answering our prayers. Sometimes God asks us to hear some no's 
in order to lead us to the right yes. And I believe what happened here with Paul can be true for us, that the Holy Spirit can direct us, that he will direct us, particularly when we are focused on our mission. I believe that's true for you and me. I believe it's true for our church, and I believe it's true for the ministry of church planting. It is vital for church planters to listen to the Holy Spirit so they will be directed to go to the right place at the right time to start a new church that the Holy Spirit wants to bring into existence. And we need to let the Holy Spirit guide us and direct our decisions so that we wisely invest in church planters who are called by God and who we believe are being sent by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul was listening to the Spirit. So he took a holy risk and he left the safety and the security and the comfort of the existing church to go on a search and rescue mission to find lost sheep. And everywhere he went, he made sure that people heard the truth about Jesus Christ. And as we read through the book of Acts, we see that in community after community, Paul is faithful to his mission And in virtually every community, not all, but in virtually every community, he left behind a new church, a new community of faith. He was planting churches. He was living out these principles that we've seen this morning. And by doing so, he demonstrates the central importance of church planting to the mission of the church to our mission of building the kingdom of God. As a congregation, we are committed to these same biblical principles. And here's how we put them into action. Every week, we take 13.5% of our general fund offerings, those financial gifts that we make that we put back there in the treasury box or that we maybe make digitally by using the uh, online app, We make our contributions and the church takes a set percentage, 13.5%, and directs them toward our mission. Think of that money as our tithe and offering because it's money that we give away. We give it away to invest in ministry beyond ourselves. Our missions committee directs those funds toward a variety of ministries locally, regionally, and globally, including the ministry of planting new churches in the Pacific Northwest. When we make a decision to invest in a new church, we typically help them financially for one or two or at most usually three years. Because once that new church is established, it's going to be supported by its own members. And we then have funds that we can invest in another new church. And here's here's a look at the new churches that we've helped to start so far. Can we have that slide, please? The first church that we invested in was The Vine in Vancouver, British Columbia. It was started by Aaron and Amy Etheridge, and they were part of our church. We sent them off to begin that new work of taking the good news of Jesus to Vancouver, B.C. And by the way, I want to emphasize this. When a new church is started by a couple, we always refer to both of them as the church planters. And we do that because church planting is a team effort. Both the husband and wife must feel called to that ministry and they must both become committed to that vision because the reality is they both will expend huge amounts of time and energy giving birth to that new congregation. They are in it together. 
Now, for a variety of reasons, the vine was unable to become self-sufficient, and it closed after four years, but it wasn't fruitless. The Etheridges touched numerous lives in Vancouver, and they baptized a number of people and brought them into God's family. Well, a few years after that, we invested in a church just up the road in Corvallis, Corvallis Church led by planters Mike and Heather Miller. And Mike was an extremely successful businessman, an entrepreneur. And he made the decision to leave the security and the comfort of his career to go on a rescue mission to find people far from God. You see, church planters often take holy risks to fulfill what they believe is the call of God on their life. Then a few years later, we met David and Lori Vigna, and we invested in their vision to start the branch in the eastern part of Vancouver near Camus, Washington. And what excites me is that these last two churches are thriving. They are impacting their communities by engaging and embracing local mission. In addition, like us, they are committed to regional mission, and it's the regional mission of starting other new churches in the Pacific Northwest. And so when it came time for the branch to open its doors, Garden Way and Corvallis Church partnered together. We both invested financially along with other churches in getting that new congregation started. And the branch now is sending out a young couple from their midst to plant a church. And so we're partnering with the branch and Corvallis Church to start another new church. Next slide, please. Generations Church. It will hold its first worship service this coming fall. They're going to be meeting in the northwest part of Vancouver. And the church planters are Kyle and Ruth Davies. They were called by God to move to this part of the country from Lexington, Kentucky, for the specific purpose of launching this church. And they've spent time in the branch learning about church planting and being being hosted and groomed and mentored by that church and by Dave and Lori Vigna. And they now are being sent out. And I'd like you to see who they are. Can we have the picture of their family, please? Kyle and Ruth are being led by the Spirit in the work that they are doing. And we could recite numerous stories that show how God is guiding their steps. I think one of the most fascinating stories involves their journey to find a place that they could rent for their worship services. They're going to meet in the American Legion Hall in Salmon Creek, and it is an ideal location. It's right on the corner of two major streets. People can get there easily. They know how to find it. It is right near the junction of Interstate 5 and the 205 freeway. It will be an awesome place for the church, but Kyle and Ruth didn't know that at first. They went from place to place saying, will you rent your space to us so we can worship as a new church? They went to seven different places and got seven no's. You see, just like the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit was speaking to them through the no answers and leading them to the right yes answer. It is so important to understand that when we hear God's no, it doesn't mean it's over. It means that the Holy Spirit has not yet revealed what the yes answer is. So Kyle and Ruth have found a marvelous place to worship. Even though they don't hold their first official worship service till this fall, they have been busily at work preparing the ground, and they've already formed a core team of 27 people. 
27 people have caught their vision and said, yes, we want to join with you and help launch a new church designed to reach new people who are far from God because we want to introduce them together to Jesus. And here's what's even more exciting. Beyond that core team of 27 people, there's another three dozen people who don't yet know Jesus, who they've built relationships with, and they're really curious about what's going on. They're really intrigued with the idea of this new church. And these 30 people are seriously starting to ask, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to live by faith and to put myself into the hands of the living God and to trust Him? You see, the doors of this church haven't even officially opened yet, and already they are in the process of fulfilling their vision. They're already beginning the process of rescuing spiritually lost people and drawing them to God, because that's their mission. And so I am very excited that we, we are investing in Generations Church. I'm excited that Kyle and Ruth, <coughs> they embody the principles that we've explored this morning. It's very clear to us that they have followed the leading of the Spirit, and they've left the comfort and the security of family and friends in order to search for people in Vancouver who are spiritually adrift. And there are plenty of people in that category in the city of Vancouver, Washington. Around 90% of the people in Vancouver never have made any kind of faith commitment to Jesus. And the Davies are relentlessly pursuing relationships with such people. They want to meet them and become their friends and share with them the love of God revealed through Jesus Christ. They're gifted by God for that ministry. And we believe that the Holy Spirit has led this family to Vancouver at this time for this specific purpose. And we believe that God is going to help them plant a new church that will take deep root and will grow and reproduce. And we believe that in just a few years, Generations Church is going to add their energy and their passion and their vision to our growing group of church planting churches. And our desire, our dream, is that we will move beyond just adding churches and that we will begin together to multiply the number of new churches throughout our region. Working together to plant new churches, to reach new people, and increase the citizenship of the kingdom of God. That is a key part of the mission that God has entrusted to us. And in terms of our support of this mission, I want to highlight three specific things that you and I can do. And number one, we need to be faithful in giving. Every time you and I make a contribution to the church, we invest in this ministry of starting new churches. We are helping to rescue people who are spiritually adrift and need God. So I encourage you to be faithful and consistent in giving your finances that help to underwrite this ministry that we are in together. And number two, I want to encourage you to visit. If you are traveling on a weekend and you're anywhere near one of these churches that we've helped to start, go in and worship with them on Sunday morning. Get exposed to what it's like to be in that environment of a newer church because often it's very different. 
And if you do go and visit, make sure you introduce yourself to the church planters. They would love to know that you're there. They would love to know that you are from Garden Way. They'd be encouraged by your visit because they deeply value the support and partnership of this church. And number three, and I think this is the most important one, we need to pray. We need to pray for Kyle and Ruth and their family. And we need to pray that God would use Generations Church to help rescue many people in Vancouver who are far from God and who desperately need Jesus. And I'd like us to do that right now. Please join me and let's pray for Generations Church. Heavenly Father, it is so exciting to be part of the process of giving birth to new churches. We're so grateful that you've drawn us into this ministry where we have the privilege of investing in people like Kyle and Ruth Davies. And we're thankful for their faithfulness in responding to the nudge of the Holy Spirit. We're thankful for for their willingness to come to the Pacific Northwest to help rescue people far from God. And we pray for each member of that family that you would give them physical, emotional, and spiritual strength for all that lies ahead. We particularly ask that the Holy Spirit would give Kyle and Ruth wisdom and discernment for the decisions they must make. We also pray for the people they've already met who do not know Jesus. We ask that your Spirit would draw those people into the family of God. And in the years ahead, we pray that Generations Church would fulfill the vision of its name that it would become a congregation which reaches all generations and that they would pass on their faith to the next generation. And as we pray for them, as we watch that ministry bear fruit, I pray that we would be inspired by them to stay focused on our mission. Help us, Father, to be faithful and to never stop sharing the love of Jesus freely, locally, regionally, and globally. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.